Well, it was the fall of 2010 and God put on my heart and mind this question of how we can mobilize more of the members of Stones to go overseas to carry out the Great Commission. It was our observation that every person who went on a mission trip came back transformed and excited about going beyond themselves in mission back at home. We didn't want to just plan mission trips to a foreign country. We wanted to make a real and tangible difference over the long haul. And I envisioned our church adopting a community to invest in relationally, spiritually, emotionally, and financially so that God could work in a big way in that community. God started putting the country of Haiti on my heart. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. The poverty there is staggering. The earthquake of 2010 caused a humanitarian crisis in and around Port-au-Prince and most of the country as well. I knew God was leading us to Haiti and I knew what he wanted us to do in Haiti. I just didn't know how we were going to do it. And so by God's providence and leading, I became aware of the ministry of 410 Bridge. 410 Bridge is a Christ-centered organization that partners churches in the States with communities in Haiti to bring about Christian discipleship, economic development, quality education, and clean water for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in February 2011, we sent a small team to explore the possibility of establishing a partnership with a specific community in need with the help of the 410 Bridge. We drove all over the country for days as we looked at different communities and interviewed leadership councils from these various communities. And it was clear that God was leading us to a community called Shadrach. When we visited Shadrach, we could see firsthand that this community was in desperate need. But we could also see that the community leaders were serious about taking steps out of poverty. Their goals were very specific. They needed clean water, they needed schooling for their children, and they needed economic development. And now eight years later, we celebrate God's faithfulness to work through not only 410 Bridge, but in and especially through our church family. I mean, think about what God has done through all of you. We raised money for a water filtration system for Shadrach. Consider this, before the arrival of 410 Bridge and our church, outbreaks of cholera were a normal occurrence in Shadrach. But now cholera has been eradicated from the community. As a church, we've conducted three medical mission trips to Shadrach, where our medical teams treated and prayed for two to 300 patients each trip. Historically, 80% of the children of Shadrach did not attend school regularly. And so our church, in partnership with 410 Bridge, helped support the construction of a school where 360 students receive a quality education. And the graduation rate is 100%. That is nothing short of amazing. In addition to helping provide clean water and funding for the school, our church has facilitated numerous Bible schools for their children, as well as conducted church leader training seminars for the pastors of the churches in Shadrach. All I can say to this is to God be the glory, great things he has done. This morning, we have the special privilege of having Kurt Candler bring today's message. Kurt is the executive director of the 410 Bridge, and I got to know Kurt as we were driving all over the country of Haiti looking at these different communities back in 2011. And the thing that I know about Kurt is, is that he is a visionary. He is a man who loves the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he loves the people of Haiti. And God has used him mightily to bring great transformation there and to other parts of the world. So would you all please give him a warm Stones Crossing welcome 
to Mr. Kurt Candler. Well, good morning. Good morning. So uh, while these guys get set up, I think I need to tell you all before, oh, let me get my clock going here because I know that blessed is the guest speaker who keeps good time for he <laughs> shall be invited back. Um, yeah, so I'm Kurt. Uh, I'm from Atlanta. And um, yesterday afternoon, uh, I, was, I spent the day with my wife. Uh, I travel a lot, so we had kind of this one day where we could go catch up on errands and we could do some things together. And so I was riding around Atlanta in my jeans and my golf shirt, and uh, it's time to come to the airport. Erica kisses me on the forehead and pats me on the head and says, have a great great trip, and as I'm halfway to the airport, I'm like, you know, I should probably check the weather in Indianapolis. <laughs> so like 30 and snowing, that's great. Um, I'm actually a Midwestern guy. I was born and raised in uh, just north of Milwaukee, so this is kind of coming back home a little bit to me. Uh, I always tell people that Milwaukee was always a great place to be from. So anyway, <laughs> so my name's Kurt, I'm a missions guy. Um, not sure what you thought about this morning when you heard you're going to have a guest speaker and he was a missions guy. I don't know, maybe you thought that here comes this uber spiritual dude, uh, really pastoral. He probably speaks multiple languages. He lives somewhere in the world that we can't find on a map. He eats funky foods. I don't know what you thought, but that is not me. <clears throat> I am, uh, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. And I tell people that all the time. I'm not, I'm not I didn't go to seminary. I'm just I'm not a pastor. I'm just a guy. Uh, I love Jesus, and I'm just trying to do the next right thing. I'm a business guy. I can't, I'm all, all of my career has been in the business world. Um, uh, I've been very entrepreneurial in my career. I love starting new things, starting new businesses. Entrepreneurial is the really kind way of saying that I don't make a very good employee. <laughs> and so uh, I'm, uh, if you'd give a personality profile for me, what you'd find is I'm one of these high D driver types right, very strategic. Scott called me a visionary. That's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but whatever. But I'm a driver. Uh, the color profiles, I'm really super red, really red. Um, and my wife always tells me, she says, Kurt, sometimes you're like this big boat barreling through the water. And you need to kind of every once in a while look behind you and see the wake that's flapping, lapping up on shore because of the wake that you're making. Um, I also kid around with folks that say that, you know, God has blessed me with a limited vocabulary, meaning that I kind of use the same words over and over again, thinking that they mean different things, and what it really means is that I'm super direct, and I'm really blunt, and people say, ah, oh, no, Kurt, it's okay, you should be direct, we like it when you're direct, until I am, <laughs> and then they're like, step, take a step back, and they kind of scratch their head, and they like, wow, that dude runs a ministry? That's amazing. Well, I do. Uh, I get to do that. I love doing it. It's, I think, the greatest job on the planet. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that today. But before I do that, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my family, if I could. I think i got a picture of my family up here. So I just had a wedding in our family. People say that our family looks a lot like the UN. <laughs> um, on the left there next to me is my uh, last born son, David. He, he will turn 25 in April. He's the tallest in the family. He's really tall and really skinny like I used to be. Uh, that's me next to him, of course. This is my new daughter-in-law, Viviana. Viviana is Hispanic. Uh, she has married my son, Michael, um, just to, the, her, to her left. He's 26. Viviana is awesome. He married way out of his league. 
she, uh, she is just, just so sweet, and I really truly believe that I've gained a daughter, not lost a son, you know how that is, and so we couldn't be more excited for them. They're just, they're just doing great. That's my wife in that beautiful blue dress next to her. My wife is Swedish, um, and uh, yeah, she still speaks Swedish, and she's amazing. She was supposed to come with me this weekend, but she couldn't make it. It was a bummer, um, but she's awesome and my soulmate. And then next to her in that little pink kind of red, red dress is my favorite. Now, all the boys in my family know that this is my favorite. Uh, her name is McKenna. Uh, make no qualms about it to the boys. To, she is significantly my favorite. She's not just a little bit my favorite. She's significantly my favorite. Uh, she is Chinese. Uh, we adopted McKenna when she was two. She came home when she was two. She is a two-time all-around AAU national gymnast champion. She teaches gymnastics in Houston, and she's a middle school math teacher. And I always tell her, honey, there's a special place in heaven for middle school math teachers. <laughs> and then that young man to the right of her is Josh. Josh uh, joined our family when he was 15. He is our foster son. He identifies as part of our family, which we are really super honored about. Uh, and surprised, frankly, because from 15 to about 17 and a half was pure hell. <clears throat> Josh, Josh and I today, Josh is 32 now. Josh uh, and I laugh, and he sort of laugh. Sometimes I want to punch him right in the shoulder. But we laugh about the things that he did that were crazy bad, 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 bad. But uh, he is our foster son. I could be more proud of this young man. He has stood in the current of... Um, the tide that kind of took, could have taken him down a path. He decided he wasn't going to go down that path. And he's uh, living in Colorado. He's 32, and he's about to get married. Um, none of that has really anything to do with what I'm going to share with you this morning. It's just my family, and I wanted to share with you my family. So that's them. Um, but what I do want to talk to you about this morning is a little bit about the 410 Bridge and the role that Stones has played in an amazing, an amazing story in a place called Shadrach, Shadrach, Haiti. Um, I founded the 410 Bridge uh, in 2006. Uh, when we did that, um, the, the, our, our namesake scripture are, is 1 Peter 4.10. Our name comes from 4.10 is 1 Peter 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. And 1 Peter 4.10 says that everyone should use the gifts that they've received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And we love that scripture. You've got gifts, I've got gifts, the people we serve have gifts, and God calls us to use those gifts, not to use just for ourselves, but to serve others through relationship. And this is how, one of the ways that he administers his grace to us, through relationship with others. And we love that scripture, but that scripture doesn't really tell you why we exist or what we do. And so let me just take a minute and tell you really why we exist. And over the years, we've really tried to decide, figure out, like, why, why do we exist? Not what do we do, but why do we exist? And we exist because we fight to restore dignity, purpose, and freedom to the poor. We believe that there's a fight that we're in to restore dignity, purpose, and freedom to the poor. And that's why we exist. What we do the what behind the why is essentially we are, a, um, we are a community development organization. We adopt entire communities in the world. So we work in four countries. We work in uh, Kenya and Haiti, excuse me, Kenya and Uganda in East Africa. We work in Haiti with stones, and we just started in Guatemala a couple years ago. And we do holistic, what we call holistic community development. So we adopt entire communities, thousands of people, 
and we walk alongside that community for the long term. So the way I say it is that we're a mile deep and an inch wide. We establish a local leadership council of volunteer leaders, opinion leaders, influencers, headmasters of schools, uh, typically not political leaders, pastors and churches, and most of our, depending on the culture, most of our leaders are pastors of their, of their churches. And we try to bring those people together, and they tell us uh, what they want to go do. Okay? And so we do things typically in five big areas. Water, Scott mentioned some of them. Water, education, economic development. Economic development is lifting household income so they can support themselves. Health and wellness programs. And those are four physical things that sit on this foundation of discipleship. And this is what I'm going to talk to you a little bit about today. Those four things sit on this foundation of discipleship. Every program that we run has a biblical discipleship component to it. And I'll tell you why here in a minute. I think the best way for me to do that, though, is to tell you about three people. These are three people that I know. There are three of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that have impacted, been impacted by the 410 Bridge over the years. Uh, and I want to start with a young man by the name of Fred. This is Fred. So everybody say, hi, Fred. Fred can't hear you because he's just up on the screen. <clears throat> um, Fred is a young man today that um, I met about nine years ago, ten years ago maybe. Uh, Fred grew up in a very, had a very traumatic upbringing. Um, Fred grew up very poor, desperately poor. He was orphaned. And we got to meet Fred when he joined our children's choir. So we have a children's choir from East Africa that tours the U.S. and leads worship in uh, U.S. churches. And uh, Fred here decided he was going to uh, audition for our choir. He heard about it somehow, and he got selected. And uh, I'll never forget the first time that Fred came to the U.S. It was the first day that he was here on his first tour. He only did one tour. Fred came, and he was staying in a host home, and all of our kids stay in host homes from churches that we, we, work, we work with. And I know the family that he was staying with, great family, and they were just trying to entertain Fred, and, and uh, there was another child with, with Fred and some chaperones, and Fred, uh, they said, hey, Fred, do you know how to ride a bike? And Fred goes, yeah, I know how to ride a bike. And so they put Fred on a bike, and he started down a hill, and he went into a ditch, and he broke his leg the first day that he was here. I know, I know. Oh, geez, Fred, come on. So I got that phone call. Hey, Kurt, you know, Fred broke his leg. So Fred was in a cast most of his first tour, but because he was part of our children's choir, we guarantee that our, the kids in our children's choir will go through secondary school. Now, secondary school in Kenya is a big deal. It's first, it's not free, uh, and only about 6% of the population of students get into good secondary schools in Kenya. And so because he's part of our choir, we assure that he's going to get into a good secondary school. And today, Fred has graduated from secondary school, he's in culinary school, and he is uh, trying to be a chef, which is awesome. And that's Fred. The next person I want to share with you is Sanganoi. Everybody say, hi, Sanganoi. He said, she can't hear you either. Sanganoi, I met uh, also about 10 years ago. Uh, Sanganoi lives in a place in Kenya that is, um, in the dry season, is almost uninhabitable. Uh, it is a very tribal area. By that, I mean Kenyans identify themselves in tribes, and there are 42 different, well, there's more than that now, but in this area, there are 42 different tribes represented where she lives. And we actually had a medical missions trip uh, on the ground at the time. That's when we got to know Sanganoi. And she came to see a doctor because she had stepped on a thorn. And because she had no shoes, her foot got infected. She never treated her foot well. 
and she uh, was, you know, her, basically her foot was rotting. And so the doctors quickly knew that she was going to lose her foot, and so they tried to do what they could, but it would never heal. And so ultimately, we ended up bringing Sanginoy to the States, where doctors were able to work on her, clean up her foot. They had to, she had to lose part of her foot. Uh, she kept most of it. Uh, and she can walk today, and got that worked out. Um, and she went back home. She was sponsored by a couple sponsors here in the U.S. She has also finished, just recently finished secondary school, and she's uh, on her way to a productive life. And that's Sanginoy. And then there's Marie. Um, Marie is from Haiti. She's from a community very similar to Shadrach, where you all work. Um, and Marie is very similar to a typical Haitian, Kenyan, Ugandan woman. She's either widowed or a single mom. Marie happens to have five kids. Uh, and Marie is passionate about educating her children. So when we met Marie, she would, we learned that she would do anything she could to earn the money uh, to have her children go to school. School is not free. Primary school is not free. Secondary school is certainly not free. So she would sell a goat. She would sell her possessions. Whatever she had, every term, every year, she'd have these five kids that she had to go and, and figure out how to get educated. So when we showed up, we created a sponsorship program, child sponsorship program, um, and now her children are sponsored. They're going to school. We then put Marie through an entrepreneurship training kind of program, a business startup training, where she learns how to run a profitable, godly business. She joined a savings group. This is a group of women that work together to save money and borrow money from each other. They co-collateralize loans so they can start small businesses or they can pay for school fees. She works for her church, and life for Marie is very, very different. But you probably can tell from my tone that, like, okay, so what's the, what's the problem here? This all sounds well and good. In all of these three people's lives, in all of their communities, we've done what we've always done. We help them with water. We help them with education. We help them with economic development. We help them with health and wellness programs. We're doing leadership development with their leaders. We're doing pastors training. We're doing Bible studies. We're doing things in their schools. We're doing all of those things. But the problem is this. What I didn't tell you here about Fred is Fred remembers the day that he was in the park. And his, he was with his mom and he was with his little brother. And he remembers the day that his mom told him to sit on that bench and don't leave because I'll be right back. And his mom left with his little brother, never to be seen again. He remembers that. I don't, I don't know if I can even conceptualize and intellectualize what it's like to remember my mother and my little brother leaving, never to be seen again. Fred sat on that bench for uh, hours until I guess somebody saw him and noticed that he hadn't moved and the police came and they picked him off of that bench and they put him in a juvenile detention facility, ultimately referred him to an orphanage, a children's home, where he was physically, sexually, and emotionally abused. And we learned about this from Fred when he joined our choir. Because he was, I think, 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old, and he was still wetting the bed. And we, we asked, finally got to him some counseling, we're asking him what his story, and we, we come to learn his story. We ultimately have to take him back to Kenya. But before we take him back to Kenya, he's in Dallas in a church very similar to Stones, and the kids go to school every day. We have teachers that travel with the choir, and they go to school every day. And Fred got up to go to the, re the restroom, and he never came back. 
And so I got that phone call. Hey, Kurt, Fred's, Fred's gone missing. His leg had clearly healed, right? Don't worry, he didn't have his broken leg anymore. But so uh, we're looking all over the Dallas suburbs for Fred. Police are come. And uh, two or three hours later, we found Fred. Fred had stolen a bicycle. I guess he learned how to ride a bike. Uh, stolen a bicycle from someone's yard, and he was pedaling his way to Denton, Texas. And we got him, and we said, Fred, why did you run away? He says, the thought of me going back to that children's home is unbearable. I'm much better off in the streets here. I can survive in the streets. He's a street kid. Tough. He says, I'm much better off surviving in the streets here than going back to that children's home. But I had to take him home. We're merely guardians, chaperones. And I found myself in a children's court in Kenya, across from the man that is abusing him in the children's home, trying to get him into a new home. And thankfully, we were ultimately able to do that. And Fred got into a new children's home, finished secondary school, and now he's going to be a chef. But no amount of education can ever address the pain that Fred remembers of his mother leaving and the abuse that he had in his children's home. Sanganoi is the same way. Sanganoi lives in an area where women are not valued. Matter of fact, in some of the tribes, cattle are more valuable than women. And that's where she lives. She's an orphaned child with a bum foot, but she's finished secondary school. Now she's got a much better life, but she lives in an area where no amount of education, no amount of water, no amount of health is going to help her mend her broken heart of being an orphan child who is longing to be loved and nurtured and cared for. And the same thing with Marie. So what's the point? Well, the point is this, is that in every one of those communities, we did all the things that we talked about. But when we, over here, see the poor, what we tend to see is their material poverty. It's the stuff that they don't have. We see their material poverty. And the way I say this is like if you were, for the, for the parents in the room, when your first child was born, well, I'll say it this way. When my first child was born, if somebody were to come up to me and say, hey, Kurt, what do you hope for Michael when he leaves your home? What I would not have said is, man, I hope Michael has lots of stuff. I want to get him as much stuff as he, so he wants for nothing. I'm going to give him stuff, and so when he leaves my house, he's ready to go. I would never say that. What I would say was I would talk about character issues and integrity and honesty and his faith and a work ethic. Those are the things that I want with, for him so that when he leaves my home, he can go thrive on his own. But yet, when it comes to the poor, we tend to only see their material poverty. And the other thing that we're learning here is, is that so many people, organizations, I feel like on this side of the bridge, and I, I know it sounds hypercritical. I don't mean it to be critical. It's more of an observation. We tend to want to help the poor without knowing the poor. We actually don't want to know. We want to help. We're an amazingly generous country. This is an incredibly generous church. The West is very generous and well-intentioned, but we want to help without knowing the poor. And until you get to know Fred and Sanganoi and Marie, until you start asking the leaders in the communities where we work, what is the problem and then what is your solution, until you get to really know them, you really can't help them. And so we're... We're in the deep end of the pool, getting to know the communities where we work in for the long term. And so what I wanted to share with you this morning is a scripture verse that is one of our core scriptures. When I say our core scripture, this is what I mean by that. 
We have about 10 or 15 scripture verses that are at the foundation of our philosophy of what we do. We believe that our philosophy is rooted in scripture and it drives our guiding principles, drives our core values. And one of our principles is rooted in Romans 12, verse 2. You've, I'm sure, heard it before. Romans 12 says this. It says, we do not, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so I wanted to break down two pieces of that, of that scripture for you. The first one is at the beginning. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Well, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to conform? And I looked up the definition of conform, and it says to reduce to a likeness in manners, opinions, or moral qualities. To reduce in likeness, meaning to conform is to reduce, to come down and, and conform around something. And so to conform to the patterns of the world, as I would interpret that, is to say that we conform to what the world is telling us is true and oftentimes is not true. What does it mean in our countries? It means this. In our countries where we work, in our communities, they conform to the patterns of the world by believing that they can't. That somebody needs to come in and do it for them because they can't do it for themselves. They believe that they're victims of tribal violence, of tribal discrimination, of government corruption. They believe that their ancestors must have done something really bad, that's why they live in poverty. They believe that they're not worthy, not respected, not valuable. When you talk to someone that is living in extreme poverty and ask them about themselves, they never talk about their stuff. Oh, and by the way, they have a joy that you can't even imagine. For those of you in this room who have been and you understand that they have a joy in the midst of having nothing, you can't get your arms around it, get your head around it. But when you ask them about themselves, they never talk about their stuff. They talk about, nah, we're not respected. We have no value. Uh, we have no worth. And, then, and they're conforming to the patterns of the world. But, but guess what? On this side of the bridge, we have a very similar problem. We're conforming to the patterns of the world by saying, you know what, these people, they can't do for themselves. Therefore, we need to come in and do for them. We say things like, wow, they need our help, so it's our money and our idea, and therefore it should be our way. And nothing more, I mean, nothing, nothing, uh, there's nothing true in that statement. And so when, those, when we conform on both sides of the bridge to the patterns of the world, we're basically believing lies. And our organization is trying to speak into those lies. And so how do we do that? Well, we go back to the scripture verse. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I, I told you at the beginning, I'm just a guy. I'm just, I just really am just a guy. I'm not a, I'm not a seminary guy. I'm not a Bible guy, a theologian guy, I, you know, none of that. But this word transformed is, seems to be a very Christian-y word to me. You know, we, we use these words like transformational experiences. And what, you know, what does that really mean? Well, transformation really means that we're going to change from the inside. We're not changing from the outside in. We're changing from the inside out. And the way that we do that is by the renewing of our mind. And well, what does renewing of our mind mean? So I looked up the word renew, and here we go. Renew means to restore to a former state after decay or deprivation. So when we conform, we actually reduce but in order to be transformed from the inside out, we need to renew our minds by restoring them after we've conformed, after we've decayed. And that's why this verse is so critically important. And this is now to the crux of my message this morning, is that we don't see poverty as a material problem. 
boy, this is controversial. Man, I, I get in a lot of arguments with people. And like I said, I'm pretty direct. Um, poverty to me is not a material problem. It's a worldview problem. We have a Kenyan um, uh, on our uh, charity, our NGO board, a non-government organization board. We have a separate entity in Kenya, and he sits on our board, and he came to me. He's been in the charity world forever over there. And he says, Kurt, <clears throat> my people, he's Kenyan, my people don't have a poverty problem. They have a worldview problem. And if we can help them shift their worldview from whatever it is today to a Christian biblical worldview and we have seen that they will do more to solve their material poverty problem without us than they will with us. And that's exactly what we've been doing in Shadrach with stones. The other thing, and this is really even more important, is, is that we don't see the poor as a set of problems to be solved. Water. Solve the water problem, they'll no longer be in poverty. Solve the education problem, health and wellness, economic development. They're not a, they're not a set of problems to be solved. They are the solution. Now this is paradigm shifting right here. Because do we really believe, does the 410 Bridge really believe that the people we serve who are living in material, material poverty, are, they are the solution? Do we really believe that they're the solution? And, and the same dude that asked me about, uh, or told me about the worldview issue, he asked me that question. He says, Kurt, do you really believe that the people we serve are the solution? And I went like, huh. You know, I do. I really believe that. Because that's the only way we can work our way out of a job. Otherwise, we're going to be there forever. And let's face it, we all on this side of the bridge think, man, the poor will always be with us. We're always doing stuff for the poor, and it never gets any better. Let me tell you, it is getting better. And it is possible to get better. And the only way for that to happen is for us to see that the people we serve are the solution to their poverty problem. And the way I say it is this way. Look, the problems that exist, I'll talk to leaders and communities and our staff over there. The problems that exist in your community, they don't exist in our community. And the solutions to your problems, they don't exist in our community either. The solutions to your problems exist right here in your community. And our job is to figure out how to help them see that, participate in that, and drive to those solutions. So let me, let me begin to try to land this ship here. Um, I've told you that, um, well, let me, let, me, let me say this. Here's how we do that. I'll give you just a couple examples. When we teach people, I mean, how do you shift a worldview? How do, you, how do you get people to see themselves as the solution to their problem? Well, in our business training, we'll, we'll teach 50 students at a time how to, do, um, how, to do, uh, how to run a small enterprise profitably. And it's incredibly successful. 85% of the people coming out of, that, out of that class are running profitable businesses 18 months after the class is over. But the most important thing that we do is we're teaching them biblical principles around business. What does God say about money? What does he say about generosity? What does he say about tithing? What does, he, what does God say about your relationships with your neighbors? Because your neighbors are your customers. And if you can't have a successful business, if you have broker relationship with your neighbors. And what we're seeing is that people that would never come to church are hearing God's truth about business and something relevant to them, and now they're flocking to the local churches. In everything we do, we want the local churches to be the hero, and that's what's happening. In farming the same way, we're teaching people how to not only do more, um, more uh, productive uh, farming techniques, 
um, by using mulch and not tilling the soil and all that. But the soil, God created the soil to work a certain way. He tells us that we have to do things on time. We have to do things at a standard. We have to do things without waste. We have to do things with joy. We do an alpha course so that men, mostly men in the farming, in the farming programs, are learning what it means to be a Christ follower. And they're repairing their marriages and their relationships with their kids, and they're also coming back to church. And so in every single program that we run, we do so with a biblical worldview. And so I told you earlier that we're fighting to restore dignity, purpose, and freedom to the poor. So the question really becomes at this point, what, what, you know, what are you fighting for? Where are you fighting? Are you fighting? Are you, are you in the battle? Because I really believe that it's a battle. I mean, there's a, it's enormously complex what we're trying to do. You know, the cultural issues, the worldview issues, but then it's also, on this side of the bridge, it's complicated as well because here's, our world is, is that we can't, at 410, we couldn't do what we do in Shadrach without help from the West, from the U.S. But we also can't do what we do in Shadrach until we change the paradigm of how the West engages the poor. And this is what Scott was mentioning before. He said he, he knew what he wanted to go do, but he didn't know how to go do it. He knew that he wanted to help, but he wanted to help in a healthy way. And so eight years ago, when I first visited Haiti with Scott and Tim, um, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm super grateful. They saw the vision that we were trying to cast. We were very new in Haiti at the time. And not only did they buy in, but they dove into the deep end of the pool. And they said, man, we don't, we don't have any idea, but we're going to ask. We're not going to tell. We're going to let them lead, and we're going to follow. 410 Bridge, we're going to defer to you because you're the experts on the ground. How can we be helpful without being harmful? Because when you do something for someone who has the capacity to do it for themselves, you actually disempower them. When you do something for someone that has the capacity to do it for themselves, you disempower them. And I'm super passionate about that. Some people say that I'm not very compassionate. I'm incredibly compassionate. I think the most compassion that we can do for the communities where we work is to work ourselves out of a job where they no longer need us in the future. And that's what's happening in Shadrach. We were supposed to be there this week to celebrate the Shadrach graduation. Shadrach was gra graduating. Well, what does that mean? Well, they're graduating out of become, being a 410 Bridge partner, partner community. What does that mean? Well, it means that they've come to a place where while there's still things that need to be done in Shadrach, they've come to a place where they no longer look to outsiders to go accomplish their, the things that they want to go accomplish, to continue their journey of development. And what we've learned about graduation, and this is especially true in Shadrach, is two things. One is communities graduate from 410, very similar to how students graduate. Some kind of graduate with honors, and then some are like me, right? And everywhere in between. And some of them, Shadrach did pretty well. Did they graduate with honors? I don't know. It's a subjective assessment, right? But they did pretty well. But here's the other really important thing. And I, the only way that I can explain this is with a story. Uh, and and it's, I used to wear contact lenses, and I'd wear these 30-day disposable contact lenses. You know what I'm talking about? But because I'm cheap, I'd wear these 30-day contact lenses for like 60 days, 90 days, right? And I finally went to the eye doctor and I said, hey, doc, tell me, listen, no fooling. Like, how long can I keep these things in my eyes before they start damaging my eyes? 
He says, Kurt, that's real easy. He says, take those contact lenses out of your eyes the day before they start hurting. <laughs> that's helpful. The same thing that's true in our communities. We need to graduate our communities the day before they start becoming dependent. The day they start becoming entitled, expectant that we're always going to be there and always going to be helping them. Because at that point, we're doing for them what they have the capacity to do for themselves, and we're going to do more to disempower them than to empower them. Then that's not a precise science, but that's kind of where we are with Shadrach. So if you were to go to Shadrach today, you'd go look around and go, man, there's so much more to do here. But what you don't see and what most organizations don't see is where they've come from. They had no school. 80% of the kids in Shadrach did not attend school. Now 100% of the kids in Shadrach have the opportunity to attend school. And 100% of those kids, there's 350 plus of them, are, are, are qualifying for secondary school. They have two water projects that they've done most of the work themselves. Those are sustainable water projects. There is no cholera in that community. It's an amazing thing. We've done, as Scott said, Bible studies with the kids and leadership development with the pastors and the leadership council, a litany of things. And they've come to this place where they no longer look to outsiders for help. And it's all because we fight to restore their dignity, their purpose, their freedom, their freedom in Christ, this biblical worldview. And so the question becomes, again, where are you fighting? You know, you have an opportunity to fight right here in your church. I mean, I'm sure they could use extra volunteers, right? Are you volunteering in your church? Start there. Take a baby step. There's, there's ways your church, Stones, is involved in local ministries here. Where you can be the church um, locally, and you can go to their website, and I'm sure there's, there's uh, organizations that they're working with here locally. But in our world, kind of in the Haiti world, in the global world, Stones is working in El Salvador and in Haiti. And in Haiti, I can tell you, because that's what we do, I can tell you how you could fight. Some of you get, need to go. Some of you need to go. And hopefully something I've said this morning tells you that this is just a little bit different than what I thought it was. I thought a short-term mission trip was where I'm going to go and I'm going to get really hot and sweaty. I'm going to be sleeping on a dirt floor. There's going to be disease everywhere around me. I'm not going to like any of the food that I eat. Let me tell you, that's just not true. When you go, invariably, more, time, more often than not, you're going to have a defining moment. I always, I love defining moments. I had a defining moment 14 years ago when I went to Uganda. Wow, look at me now. Holy cow, how did this happen? Well, it was because of a defining moment. I realized that there was a better way to engage the poor. People have defining moments on trips, and some of you need to go. It will change your life. It'll let you see God at work in new and exciting ways that you never thought possible. You know, we worship the same God in all these countries. Culturally is where it's different. The Bible crosses cultures, right? And you should go. And I've made it really easy for you. If you want to go, go to stonescrossing.com missions. There you go. Everybody should take out their phone right now, and they should take a picture of this screen so that when you leave here, you remember those URLs. But you can go to, the, you can go to their, their site. They have local missions. You have global missions in El Salvador and Haiti. Uh, Mitch is going to come up in a minute and tell you a little bit more about that. But you should go. I'm really, I'm staying on this point because some of you do. Now, some of you are in life stages with young kids or whatever that you can't go, and I get it, but some of you are not. And the other thing you can do is if you just can't go, I get it, I do. You can sponsor a child. 
Stones is going to move from Shadrach after Shadrach gets graduated to a place called Piat. Piat is, uh, if you look at it in words, it, it looks like Piatre. So if you ever see the Piatre word, P-I-A-T-R-E, it's really Piat. And today we've got about 34 kids on this website right here that need to get sponsored. It's $39 a month, $39 a month. We spend more on that at Starbucks Coffee every month. And what that program does is it provides an opportunity for 100% of the kids living in Piat to have access to a quality at primary school education. Because today that's not the case. It doesn't buy them food. It doesn't buy them clothes. We don't, we don't do things that create unhealthy giving. What we do is we want to lift the quality of education for 100% of the kids living in Piat. And we, we could get those 34 kids sponsored in these two services today. We'd really urge you to do that. And if you ever go, and some of you in this room have gone and met your sponsored child, let me tell you, it is a game changer for these communities. And I'd urge you to do it. Because that's what the church is. That's what it means being the church. That's what it means. A church is not a building. Church is not a project. A church to the poor is not a set of problems that need to be solved and all of a sudden they're gonna be out of poverty, no. The church is about relationship. It's about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship with each other across and also a relationship beyond. And that would be in Haiti or El Salvador. And so I just want to camp out on that and just really challenge you. If there's something that I've said today that really kind of tweaks your heart, gives you a check in your spirit, I'd urge you to go do that. And let me end with this. Um, If you've heard nothing else, today. Let me, let, me, let me make sure you understand this. Stones Crossing Church is an amazing church. We partner with hundreds of churches in the U.S. And I can honestly say this is one of my favorite churches to partner with because of your leadership. When I met Scott eight years ago, he's asking me all these really hard questions, both Scott and Tim, asking me these really hard questions they had the aha moment, they said, okay, we get it. This is a way that we can help without hurting. This is a way that we can engage our, our people and we can be the church around the world and make a difference. And we couldn't be more grateful for your church. Your church over the last eight years has given over $150,000 to the programs going on in Shadrach. There's a school where there was no school. There are two water, water sources, where, clean, safe water sources where there was no water sources before. All the things that Scott mentioned and I mentioned earlier, your church has been involved with. And without churches like Stones, we can't do the work that we do. Over 150 people in your church have gone <laughs> over the last eight years. And we can be made way more than that. I'll bet you that Mitch would add a trip if he had a lot of people that wanted to go. We can do that. You've also sponsored kids that has been a game changer for 100% of the kids living in Shadrach. And for that, on behalf of our staff, uh, both in the U.S. and our staff in Haiti, and certainly the people of Shadrach, just hear how grateful, super grateful we are and honored we are to partner with Stones. You're an amazing church. You're unique in a regard to, there's probably top 5% of our churches that we partner with where you really get it. You understand that you're not the cavalry coming over the hill to save the day. And for that, we're super grateful. So if you hear nothing else, hear my thanks. Sometimes all we have is our words, and that's all I can share with you this morning is our word of thanks. Thank you for having me. Let's, let, me let me pray for you, and then we'll get out of here. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, you are incredible, awesome. Father, we're so um, humbled 
by who you are and by getting to talk about what we get to talk about today. Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for uh, the 410 Bridge Ministry. Thank you for Stones Crossing Church. Thank you for the people here today. We're grateful for that. Father, we pray that our time together today was glorifying and honoring to you. That's our desire. Pray for now guidance, Father, moving forward. Father, you'd give us the courage to do the next right thing, to be bold, to make what the next right thing is obvious, and we'll go do that. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, whom we love, and for all that he did for us. We are not worthy, but we are grateful, and it's in his name. Amen.